0: you yeah. mm-hmm. Stretch for a moment or listen about. You're welcome. I'm not James. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're expecting other ones. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's a funny joke. It's a story. It's a story. You can see it on YouTube of uh, an Australian. Reporter who goes to interview the Dalai Lama and he wants to tell a joke to the Dalai Lama, so he says to him, "What is the Dalai? Well, that's a different accent." You want to do the Australian accent? You want to do it? I don't know the joke. It's going to make it more difficult than. <laughs> <laughs> You're in all right. Yeah. What? What is? Anyway, he says to him, "What does the Dalai Lama order when he go- ask for when he goes into a pizza parlor?" And Dalai Lama is looking at him like he's no things. He says make me one with everything. <laughs> but the Dalai Lama doesn't get it. So it's, like, it's like one of these like cross-cultural things that like doesn't quite cross. Um, and he says it again, and the Dalai Lama is like, he's going to get it. So then his translator translates for him. And then he just laughs, not because he got the joke, but just because he thought it was hilarious that this guy was so trying to make the joke, to your point. So I want to share a little bit about uncertainty. But I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> it was actually interesting. I was on the way over here, uh, and I was on the bus. And as the bus is turning from Fahim, it turns on to Pier And because buses make wide turns, so for a few moments, it feels like the bus driver is going to keep going straight. And there's a bunch of people at the, bun- at the front of the bus who say, no, 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 small apple, as if the bus driver doesn't know, like, <laughs> either where to go or how to turn the bus. But I also noticed, I was, like, very aware of, like, watching this happen and also watching it in myself. It was like, oh, ceiling, uncertainty starting to rise. Maybe he's going to go straight and miss the turn. And then just, like, noticing, saying, okay, now uncertainty's here. And then the bus turned, and, of course, everything was fine. Um... A few weeks ago, I was so st- I was so struck by this. My um, my teacher uh, wrote Daniel Cohn. <laughs> <laughs> Um He who for me just every time he teaches this is is actually his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, he every time he teaches, I feel like he brings Torah alive for me in in a whole new way. Um, brings insights into life. So I was so struck. Uh, I usually sit just next to him, and he was um, getting ready to start giving shir a couple of weeks ago, and he said, uh, "I don't know what I'm going to say." And I'm kind of like, "What?" It's like you're Rav Daniel, of course you know what you're going to say. But he said, and, he, and then he said, "And I'm a little bit afraid." It's so like, the dude's been learning Torah for like I don't know how many decades. It's not like he's, you know, has any reason for for lack of confidence. And then he said. And it's always like that. Hmm. And then what happened was really interesting, because what you might think is like, oh, he doesn't know what he's going to say, he doesn't know what he's going to teach. After all, we did have a text in front of us of the Maharal, and he could have just said, well, you know, just start reading the text. But he actually didn't get to the text for 45 minutes of what's supposed to be an hour-long shir. And I was so struck, because and, you, because, and then I got it. I was like, oh. That's why it's always so alive what he's teaching because he's not running away from that. The reason that he's a little bit afraid, and the reason that he doesn't know what, what he's going to teach, even though of course he comes prepared, is because there's a space there of uncertainty and he's open to it. And in that openness, what needs to come, what's appropriate and responsive to the situation, to the people in the room, to the interaction between the text and the teacher and the people in life and the world, just comes out because he leans into it and because he opens to it. For those of you who are here and, and noticed, just so we can, I really want to try and share some ideas which are both in general in life but also grounded in, uh, in our mindfulness practice, a number of times I invited you to explore the sense uh, that comes into your body when somebody new comes into the room. I know for me, if if I'm sitting somewhere and somebody new comes into the room, especially if I have my eyes closed, the urge is like, see who it is, find out who they are, where they're going, and like, and, and, and I think that is just a very basic evolutionary desire to order things, to make life safe, and to take all of the data that's coming to our experience and to have it in a kind of clear place so that we can protect ourselves if that's necessary or seize opportunities if they present themselves. Um, The challenges of uncertainty I think are a few. The way I've been thinking about it, there's vulnerability, there's fear in response to vulnerability, and often there's lack of control. So what I want to share a little bit is how we can respond skillfully in response to each of those, vulnerability, fear, and lack of control? And also, what are the actual opportunities, not just problems or challenges, which come along with uncertainty? A few weeks ago, I went to the Mishkata youth. I had a Tzavui Apparently, I'm being called to be an official soul warrior. Or something other I think that's what they do in the army right um, and uh, something quite funny happened I uh, you know basically that you have to go through this whole medical profiling thing so first you do the urine test and then you have to go and do height and weight so I went to from the urine test and then I went to do height height and weight and uh, usually when i grow up going to the doctor's office you pick up your clothes and you stand on the scale and then do the weight etc so I go in and, and the there's the chayal and he's talking to me and there's the chayelit and she's doing something with somebody else, and he says to me um, take you know take off whatever and uh, so I kind of like drop my pants and start to step on the scale and then I hear this woman soldier shriek and like yeah, you know, turn around and like he's like he's like on the <laughs> other side and turns around and sees me with my pants off and he's like <laughs> he's like put your pants back on and which moment I realized like oh. You said shoes, didn't you? <laughs> 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 so, uh, whoops. You other turkey. So it's kind of like getting caught with your pants down, you might say. Um, but actually, and what happened for me in that moment, um, I was, uh, I mean, I, I laughed. I felt also kind of like... You know, like an idiot. But I also realized that it was really funny, and so I just laughed and encouraged them to enjoy the, the humor <laughs> of, the <story. laughs> of, of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly to encourage hey, the humor. You of me, yeah. sorry. So yeah, but it was uh, uh, not lying. So, uh, um, What I what I realized is that even as I was being seen in my exposed state. There was some kind of self-consciousness which arose of that, but there was also like, okay, self-conscious sensations are arising, and like, okay, I know how to be open to that. Um, and just like, just enjoy it. And in fact, that's our, that's the natural ideal state that we see in Bereshit. Vayushneim ahumim, and they were both naked, exposed. vloit po'sheshu, and they were unashamed. That, in my mind, is the ideal picture of what's possible in this world, of living just as, who's, just as who we are, exposed and unashamed, unabashedly so, which is what allows for intimacy, and it's what allows for connection, and it's what allows for, for feeling really alive. Uh, I was learning this week, um, Sefer Yoshua, and what something just so striking that happens in Sefer Yoshua is that just as when Israel are about to enter the, the land in battle, they do brit milah. It's kind of like a lot of ways to prepare for battle, but like injuring a very sensitive part of your body is not what you would think, you know, it's not like the first thing that would come to mind of like, this is how we're going to go and, and, conquer the, and conquer the land. So what's that about? And the way I've come to understand it with, with my teachers is that in Britmila we remove the orla. The orla is the, it protects, which might sound ironic, or it might sound, um, not ironic, counterintuitive. Why would we want to remove that which protects us? But that is the sign of entering the Brit, okay. of entering the covenant. And to live in the covenant, it says in, uh, uh, in the Zohar about the word Breshit, which introduces really what Torah is about, that Breshit is Otiyot Brit Esh. The same letters rearranged spell Brit Esh, a covenant of fire which is what the Torah is about. It's about uh, breaking down solidity to let its energy go. It's about being in dynamic relation. Fire is never static. It's always on fire. It's always in motion. And it's about being in a relationship with life, not from a place of safety, but from a place of activity, of creativity, of release, a kind of dance. And so when we do grit Milan, we say, in a sense, or not say, we move into a place where we're no longer relating to life just from our basic survival instinct. We're not here just to protect. We're not here to just hoard and respond to scarcity. We're not here to stay away from vulnerability. We're here to step into it, to step wholly into life, because they're on the cusp of entering the promised land. And the promised land is not a place of safety. It's not a place of hiding. It's a place of living with confidence. It's a place of stepping into a different way of being. And especially for them, in Sefer Yoshua, it's a tikkun for the chet of meraglim, for the sin of the spies, who gave in to doubt. And here it's not about doubt. It's about even in spite of doubt, going forward. Even in spite of fear. Even in spite of danger. Even in spite of not knowing, stepping up. In becoming warriors of the heart, which is, I think, what we're what we're asked to do or what we must do to fulfill our, our deep potential, the task is to take off our armor, to be able to engage life without armor. And the Baal Shem Tov teaches that we can turn our, you have to say it's a kind of a Yiddish accent, to turn the Oyev into an Oyev, we turn our enemy into, into a lover, into a friend. It says in Avot the Ezugibor, Who is a hero? One who turns his, that which hates him, or who hates him, into one who loves him. So that's actually something that we can re- relate to in a very concrete way, in terms of mindfulness practice. Everything that we experience has one of three feeling tones. It's either pleasant, in which case our natural inclination is to go towards it, and also to hang on to it. Or it's neutral, in which case we generally ignore it. Or it's unpleasant, which evolutionarily is a sign of something threatening. And so our understandable and adaptive way of responding is to go away from it. However, in the context in, we live, in which we live, that's not so adaptive. Also, because we tend to relate to our thoughts and emotions as something external, so we apply that, you know, subconsciously, we apply that same way of relating in logic. So an unpleasant thought comes up, and if it, then we're just trying and get away from it. But it's just a thought. Nothing can happen. Or an unpleasant, afflictive emotion comes up, and we just want to run away. But it's just a feeling in the body. So the task here is to open to it. We can. One of my teachers defines mindfulness as having three aspects, concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. So concentration, first of all, is just having awareness. What is present? What's here? Sensory clarity is, how is it manifesting in my body? Is it in the feeling realm? And if so, what texture, what kind of feeling? Is it, does it have a, an image associated? And does it have sound, or words, or a story? So first, we're just aware that something is here. And then we look into it. And equanimity is about fully opening. If you can imagine, and we can imagine you see an old friend or a, or a family member you haven't seen in a while, and I just know I'm going home to visit my family in a couple of weeks, and I just know like what's going to happen is I'm going to see them, and then this is going to happen in my body. It'll just be kind of like this, and then this. You know, <laughs> like, oh, friend. And all the more so, we say, Shiviti Hashem the Tamid. We place God before me, always. So if God is always before me, you know, all the more so. For for a friend, the divine is here, and the Baal Shem Tov has taught us that it's all the divine. Whatever is here is the divine. Meaning, even we can take that, take that, friend reaction, and learn to befriend our enemies. That's how we turn the oyev into the oyev. We open to it, and then there's a kind of transformation which happens when we realize that a lot of the enemy is actually, or in fact, the entirety of its enemy essence is in our resistance to it and our perceiving it as such. Now, that doesn't mean that unpleasant becomes pleasant, although sometimes that does happen. The unpleasant might still be there, but when we let go of our resistance to it, then our our experience totally transforms. And our experience and understanding and pursuit of happiness in time, as we deepen and practice and deepen and practice, shifts from seeking happiness in more and more pleasant sensation to happiness as coming about from how we're relating to whatever is present So the more equanimity we have, the more we can open to all of experience we can discover a peace which can be present regardless of our external circumstances and that's the practice which leads us to the, to the experience of, of Hashem Kanegdi Tamid, of the Divine is always being here And the truth of that statement is, we can open to everything, and we're safe opening to everything. Hmm. One of the things that we know about creation, both from our great teachers and also if we just pay attention to our experience is that it's always changing and because it's always changing it's kind of like trying to find your footing on quicksand like we're getting like into a place in life of like finally okay we got it just right and then something shifts and then and, and there's always this kind of balancing game and often this illusion in our minds of like oh if I could just get these pieces together then I'll be okay not realizing that actually, if we just relax, there's a, an already okayness which can be present, when our sense of identity, which by virtue of evolution, again, is usually identified with experience, softens and releases. We can open to a spaciousness, an okayness which is already present and which is not dependent on conditions. We have a fundamental sense in the face of uncertainty, and Uncertainty is always present if we pay attention because the future is always unfolding and we don't know how. As my once, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. We have a fundamental sense that something is wrong and needs fixing. And that ever changing nature of our lives, it's like the sand, which just as much as we try and hold on to it, nothing stays. And at the same time, our brain keeps insisting, just, just grab, just consolidate, just protect. And so we reify things. Because the deep truth that we know both from modern physics and from the Torah is there's no such thing as a thing. There's nothing static. You go into it and look very deeply in an electron microscope at anything. We'll just see a lot of energy moving around. And the same thing is true in what it says in Bureishit. The world comes into being through statements of "vayahi," of that word of being just, just perm- permutated, of being put into different forms and flowing and changing. But the mind reifies. It makes things into, into organizable uh, data that we can hold and control, or at least give ourselves that illusion in order to survive. The only ultimate solution to that is, as the psalmist says, let go, relax, and then you will know that I am God. Which is totally opposite to our habitual way of of interacting in the world. Problem arises, solve it, or get rid of it. But what this verse is saying, and this approach is saying, I think, is actually... You can solve the problem by letting go of it being a problem. Just by deeply relaxing. Oh, something's here, I don't really want it. What if, oh, oh, oh. And we just do that, and because it's such a deep pattern and such a deep habit, so we have to train ourselves again and again and again. We let go, and then something else comes. And we let go, and then something else comes. So how do, we, how do we practice letting go? What does, that, what does that even mean? I think we can do it, we can start to feel into it, just with the body. Just the way we make a fist, just make a fist for a second, and just let go. You scrunch up your face, and just let go. And we can just do that and we practice and slowly we have a sense of oh first of all we have a sense of how much we're always doing that throughout the day and throughout our lives and we're like uh, all over the place trying to figure things out we're not even we're not even aware, we're not even awake. And then there's a moment of awareness and just let go. We can also, if we want, in the practice Let's say, for instance, I'm sitting here. Somebody comes into the room. I notice that feeling in my body of, like, oh, I have to figure it out, I have, to, I have to know, I have to protect. And just really focus on that feeling and that felt sense and going deeper and deeper into it, letting go of the story, the way we're made. Stories just come, but we let go and go into the experience, into the sensation. And at some point we can realize, we'll realize, we'll see, we'll experience, we'll feel, oh, this is just life bubbling up into this particular form. There's no, there's no actual real danger here. There's no, there's no actual real thing here. It's just energy coming up, passing, becoming more intense, less intense. And we can do that with all of our sensations. We can do it with joy and ecstasy. We can do it with itching. We can do it with a desire to move. We can do it with pain. What is pain? Pain is not thing, it's just a lot of sensations, which are always changing. It's been helpful for me to know that there is a natural relaxation in exhalation, which engages the parasympathetic nervous system. So you can just like to think of kind of like surfing the exhalation into a bit of relaxation, and each time just kind of letting go into that deepening ah like the wind which just takes the fall leaves away and Baal Shem Tov teaches it's all god even the resistance then is god so sometimes it's like oh, well, i'm here and it's like oh resistance but i'm meditating so i'm not supposed to have resistance to anything so how do i get away from that when you can just you don't have to get caught up in that it's just like oh okay resistance now resistance is here now dissatisfaction is here. Oh, now judgment is here. Oh. A pasuk which is talking about Moshe in in, uh, in the war, and it says, "Vayu Yadav Emuna," and his hands were Emuna. So the way that James has spoken about that is that Emuna is steadiness. Emunah, of course, is the same shoresh as litz amen, to train. It's not something which we're just born with on a deeper level. It's something which we train in. Experience comes, challenges (coughs) come, and the training, the path of training in deep emunah, the art, the omanut of emunah, is to train in staying present, and staying present, and staying present, and staying present. That's the war that the warrior of the heart wages. We're building our kailin. Kailin from that word lachil, the ability to contain, to be a vessel. That's the practical work of Shiviti Hashem the Megdit Tamid, of widening. As we let go we can also widen because when when fear and anxiety come, they engage the fight or flight mechanism which narrows our vision. Like either I'm gonna beat this thing or I'm going to hightail it out of here. But we can train ourselves in the same way that people who practice Aikido train themselves in what they call soft eyes to open. Even when something is threatening, we open and that actually increases our ability to respond in creative ways, to take that energy which is coming at us and use it instead of opposing it. Or even just noticing like, oh, okay, okay, I'm big enough to include you, too. You can be here as long as you want. And we just sit and practice. And then, of course, that aversion comes again. It's like, well, I don't want to be here, I want to get away. And then we just notice that, and here we are again. I'm going to share a couple other techniques as well. A very common practice in meditation is to use the question, Who am I? It can be its own meditation practice, not to invite a biographical recounting, but to open, asking that question, just sitting and say, invite, invite the response, Who am I? Opening to a sense of presence to allow it to assert itself, to experience yourself as a presence beyond thought beyond emotion. And the way that I use that sometimes is in a permutation. So if actually it happened today, I was very frustrated with myself, and, uh, and I said that to, to my friend, and he asked me a very skillful question. He said, who's frustrated? And then I just kind of opened to that. And what, the way that I use that is to let go of whatever story is surrounding what's happening. And to just be present with whatever energy is there. So frustration might still be present, but then it's just kind of a cloud of frustration energy. And I can just be present with that versus all of the other overwhelming stories which are accompanying it. Or who's angry? Oh, who's angry? And then just sitting with anger and also noticing what else is here. You can think about it as opening to the energy without the dressing into being something more than just what it is. I think a lot of our anxiety around uncertainty comes from a mistaken understanding of the future as something real. I would like to invite us to see the future for what it isn't. Meaning, the future will happen, in a sense, but there is only really now. And there is only always now. As one teacher said, let's move on to the next moment after this one is done and this one and this one so I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan or we shouldn't be aware of likelihoods in the future but taking them for real becomes a kind of projection which then we have that same enemy defensive response to and we can just notice for a second oh. What's the story here? And is that true? Is it really? Is it, am I 100% sure it's true? And because it's in the future, we can never be 100% sure. And then we might ask ourselves, this is a process that Byron Cage teaches. Who am I when I believe that story? And who would I be without it? Who would I be without it? For me, usually the answer is peaceful, open, calm. And then, turn it around or What's a different possible narrative here? I'm going to talk for a minute about lack of control. Hmm. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place of great constriction, either within the practice, in a place of pain in the body, or within life not knowing what's happening, feeling like a lot of overwhelm, a lot of worry, a lot of angst. And thats it's from that place that the Sama says, min karatiya. From that place of constriction of the narrow straits, I called out to you. It's a place of not knowing. It's the place from which B'nai Yisrael are always crying out in the Midbar to go back to Mitzrayim. At least we know what was there. There's a, There's the draw of, of the comfort of familiarity. Let's go back to that. At least we will know our poison. But the promised land, how can you let go of the promised land? But it's so compelling, right? It's like, you know, I know this isn't good for me, but I just want to do it now because like, okay. Choose your distraction. Food, internet, alcohol, Books, or just like I know this isn't really what I should be doing, but there's just a sense of like relief, as the compulsion of the relief. So how do we get to the rest of the pasuk, V'Anani b'Milchav Yam, and I was answered or answer me in the expansive expansiveness of the divine. Our natural evolutionary response when we don't have control is to reach for it, which is a good thing if you're tripping, but in life, when things are actually out of control, that just increases our suffering, that ever, a kind of Sisyphean reaching for control and finding ourselves frustrated ever ever again. And again, I think the answer is ha'opu. Let go and relax, and know that I am God. And I think one could read that as a theological statement, but one could read it also just as an invitation to an attitude. Let go. Let go of your trying to be king of the world because it would be nice if it would, but it just doesn't work. Something else which is, which is helpful is that amidst this free fall it can be helpful to notice that we're already okay. We need not wait to be okay. But right now, Even if I'm anxious, even if I'm afraid, even if I have good reasons for those things, right now I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm alive. That helps expand that vision which gets narrowed by the fight or flight. Oh, I'm okay. And we can practice that also not in times of stress, in order to deeply internalize the sense of being okay, which is counter to that evolutionary sense of. always being on edge, which once upon a time was adaptive when there's always threats coming our way. Yeah. So we say in our tefillah, Baruch Atah Hashem, Avraham, towards the beginning of the Shemun Esrei, the shield of Avraham, an opportunity to feel ourselves protected, whether you imagine a force field or just taking care of yourself, saying, you're okay, I'm okay, feel the love. We say also, It's the same thing, that amidst whatever is going on, there's always a part of us, there's always a space, which is beyond changing circumstance. But the question is, how do we get that to be more than just a statement, more than just an idea, which intellectually and conceptually is compelling, and I know to be true, but actually to come to be our experience? We spoke about that, I spoke about a little at the very beginning of our practice today of working with the inner child the inner child which comes the kind of embodiment of a lot of that anxiety of the needs, of the desires and accessing the inner parent who can tell that child it's okay, come here, feel the love but also actually hearing the live needs which are in that anxiety meaning anxiety and fear are not bad things they come as messages and hearing and listening to them can take off a lot of their sting. I mean, oh, yeah, I hear you. You really want acceptance, don't you? You really want it to be okay. You want to be safe. You're afraid. Listening to the life energy in the call. Not in order to quiet him or her, but in order to make him or her feel heard. In order to make ourselves feel heard. Another practice which is helpful is to cultivate stability and deep peace. In the same way that holistic health encourages us not not to just attack illness and symptoms, but to cultivate health, to cultivate resilience. So as we deepen our stability, so we have the ability to just open and be okay in the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of anxiety. And we do that as we deepen our concentration abilities, as we deepen into states of rest as we pay attention to the neutral sensations. I like to think, you know, in the Torah it talks about when you're being pursued, you can go to an ir miklat, to a, uh, a city of refuge. So we also have a re miklat in our bodies. So when I was on retreat one time, I used to, I, I was engaging a lot of uncertainty and I would just say, where's your bum? Where's your bum? and just kind of feel that like sensation of sitting on the chair it's like, oh, well, that's safe, there's not much happening there it's just like, <laughs> that's a pretty okay, safe place to be regardless of whatever else is going on and the, um, the last other practice piece that I want to talk about uh, comes from the, the flow of the sphero which moved from Gvura into Tiferet, and Gvura is associated with cutting like Brit Mila, like in Yoshua, as I mentioning before. Also, letting go of old or false context, like a, an addict, and we're all addicts in some way or another, even if just to our patterns of thinking and responding. Letting go of an old context is often very difficult because it has that feeling of safety that comes with familiarity. And the wisdom... I realized this when I was in India a few years ago. I had this vision of, I'm going to go to India, I'll go away from everything which is familiar, and I'll just have to deal with it. And what I realized when I was there, was like, that's not true at all. I can just spend all my time thinking about coming back, and then I'm not actually there at all, dealing with any of it. Like, there's external crutches, and then there's internal crutches. And letting go of those pl- plunges one into uncertainty. And the wisdom here in the spheratic chart is that we move from Gevurah into tiferet. Ferr which is in the heart, to which is the same shorash as rifu'ah. And that it's dafka when we make those changes, when we step out, when we're trying to step out of habits, and there's that such a strong pull to come back into it, that being present in the heart is so important. Because the heart can contain that. The heart knows how to be present, it knows how to do that emuna of steadiness. Or at least we can train it in doing so. So we come there. Whenever we're uncertain, I'm here. And that's the final piece of how to be in uncertainty is that there can actually be a deep kind of knowing. It's not a knowing about the way that things will turn out and I'll be okay because I know things are going to turn out a certain way. It's a knowing that things will be okay because as long as I'm present here, things are okay. And whatever happens is okay because I'll know how to deal with it. Because life isn't necessarily about things turning out this way or that way but about the way that I bring myself to them, however they end up being. It says in the Gemara and Barachot, teach your tongue to say, I don't know, lest you be wrong and get caught up. I just love that. That's what we're supposed to, that's our practice. I don't know. I don't know, and it says "Shem atit lest you be wrong and be caught up, which I think has a deep meaning. Meaning, there's a kind of knowing which actually keeps us from life. That, if we always know, there's never any space to receive. And we see that by Moshe at the snail burial, at the burning bush. If he just knew, I'm a shepherd. I'm doing my shepherding thing. I got to keep going with my flock. Once I spend enough time being a shepherd, then I'll become a lawyer, and then I'll become a partner, and it'll all be okay. But he has an openness to turn aside. And if he didn't have that, then who knows where we would be? There'd probably be a lot more pyramids, and it's run. It's that not knowing which actually makes space for growth. In the same way that when we put a seed in the ground, there's some time before we actually see anything coming from it. And nonetheless, if we want it to grow, we have to stay there, we have to stay present, we have to keep taking care of it until it comes up, and then more so until it grows and finds its roots and stability and, and finally fruit if we stay long enough. So it is in our life. Sometimes we go through these periods, the Arit talks about it, These cycles. First you're a nearby or a fetus and then you're a child and then you mature and then it happens all over again. And what I've, what I've realized in my own life and from the it's like developmental psychology is that we actually need that space of not knowing in order to experiment, in order to see, in order to learn, in order to try different things. And if we're always so insistent on knowing, there's no space. It's like we aerate, like the not knowing, the uncertainty, actually aerates and oxygenates the soil of the soul, in order that there can be space for something new to grow, and it's our job as the kind of this kind of inner gardening work that we do in this practice, to hold that space and to hold that openness and to hold the conditions in which something can grow, and we see that also in the stories of creation. In, in the first story of creation, in the first story of creation. It's very much a top-down, controlled, atomized process. But then the Torah comes and says, <speaking in Hebrew> that, No, actually, this is this is the way, and it's a whole different model, <speaking in Hebrew> it's generative, <speaking> in <Hebrew> means in their emerging creation, in their interconnected generation. And also, <speaking in Hebrew> is Abraham, who is the paradigmatic, archetypical figure of the spiritual journey into uncertainty because he's told Go, perhaps to yourself Leave your land or your comfort zone Leave the place where you're born or just your genetic predisposition and your father's house just your cultural ways of being And where is he supposed to go? It doesn't say, it doesn't say where he's supposed to go it just says, go. And of course it doesn't say where he's supposed to go, because if it said, then there would be no journey. There would be no space for exploration or no space for the unfolding. And that's what we're charged with. Go. Let go. Because if you don't let go, you definitely won't get there. Because you can only get there by letting go and opening and seeing what comes. Roki said, "Rena Maria Roki, one of my favorite quotes says, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I think that's all I have to say. -hmm. Thank you for listening. It's past eight. If anybody has any questions, happy to answer to the extent that I'm able. Mm